Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. I have a new episode. I'm very excited to have this next guest who was recommended to me from a mutual friend of ours, who's also my neighbor, it's, um, Diane Freeman, who's the Managing Director for Voyager Capital. Welcome, Diane. Thanks, Dan, great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into all things venture capital, talent, Portland, but let's start first uh, for the folks that don't know much about you and Voyager, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself. I would be happy to. I live here in Portland. I've been with Voyager for the last 14 years, but prior to, as I say, going to the dark side of venture capital, I spent over 25 years as an operator in sales, marketing, business development roles for both very, very large computer companies, um, as well as early stage startups. And have done that pretty much all over the world. Um, fell in love with the Pacific Northwest. I'm from New York originally, but fell mm. in love with Portland years ago. Left here several times to be in the Bay Area, Seattle, over in Europe and Asia Pacific. And um, happy to be back in Portland uh, for the last uh, 14 years um, and, uh, and to have gone over to venture capital, which has really taken the opportunity for me to take all of my operational experience and apply it to uh, great early stage entrepreneurs. And let's talk about Voyager. What's um, you know the profile, the type of businesses you invest in, and maybe some of your thesis in investing, if if you have one that you could share. Yeah, we definitely we definitely do. So Voyager is an early stage B two B software investor, um, specifically in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. So Oregon. Washington, British Columbia, sort of Alberta on over. Um, and what, you know, it's simply stated, you know, we look for really great ideas that are disruptive in very large markets with fantastic teams. As I always like to say, the way the money is through the people. And so you can have um, a huge market opportunity, you can have a great disruptive technology, but it's gonna take a great team of people to basically get to the money and get to the success. So we um, are somewhat agnostic in terms of verticals, although there are verticals I am biased against um, mm. because they're hard to scale. And we're agnostic in terms of technology, although there's some technology that I'm biased against because they're hard to get to scale. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I pretty much look at, you know, somewhere between 100 to 150 deals a year. Okay. Um, and we'll do anywhere from one to two, which statistically is about right. Yeah. And so let's get the, the ones out of the way that the verticals you're, when you say bias, I, I know you meant in, in the 
regards to scaling them. So yeah. could you share a couple of those? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, these change over time, right? Um, so as an example, ed tech was always a tough mm. one. Why? Because selling to school districts, as an example, is a very slow slog. Now we go through a pandemic, like what we just went through, where all of a sudden all these kids are at home learning online and schools have got to up the ante in terms of technology infrastructure and ed tech looks slightly different now, right? But ed tech would be one. Health IT is a tough one, right? Mm. There's some phenomenal um, innovation inside of health care, but, and you know, a lot of it's consumer based right now, um, but hospitals are a really tough sell, right? And so they can take a long time to get to scale. Yeah. So again, love some of what I see as an investor, sometimes tough to make a decision that that's a good place to, to put your money. Let's dig back into the teams part, because I know this is a big part of your your thesis and you personally being an operator, being on both sides, what are some, and I know this is a generalization, so we're trying this to still yeah. a little bit, some attributes of teams, not necessarily individual people, but that successful teams in early stage companies you you found or you you know maybe you share to, to, as you're speaking to entrepreneurs or even college students? So, you know, often, Dan, we basically will start with a conversation with the founders. And these are um, entrepreneurs who, while they may have run very large teams uh, in larger companies, most of the time they're first time CEOs. And so my first meeting is going to be with the one or two or three founders that are, in essence, starting the company. And you can learn a lot about how they're going to build a company just by getting to know them. Right? And do they talk about we and us and I don't know and I would like to learn and tell me what you think? Or do they start with the I know, I've got it, I have all the answers, I need nobody. And, you know, mm. what's indicative here is if the leadership comes into something that says, I know it all and I can do it all, very hard to see how they're going to build a team that is inclusive of other ideas, hmm. that is folks that maybe um, know more than they do in certain functional areas. So leadership comes from the top. Teams are built just like culture is from the top. And so that's the first place that we basically look at how is a team going to come together. I will tell you that when you have leadership that is open and listens and understands that it takes a team to make a company successful and they know that from the start and they talk about that from the start, yeah. you will often find teams that are built that are cohesive, that are strong, that the one and one equals much more than two, and that you ultimately end up with a company being able to scale from a people standpoint mm. as it flows down to having a lot more people in those different teams. Who are some of the folks if we, I don't know if we, we can call out a, a few individuals that you've seen and you invested in that, that, that embody this? Yeah. Well, you know, in my, God, it's, it's, it's really, I feel very fortunate across the board in my portfolio companies, but folks like Jake Weatherly over at Sheer ID, James McDermott over at Lytics, Kate Johnson over at Acton. These are folks that Tim Zonka over at Stackery, much smaller company, but that basically built a culture into the company that was one of transparency, one of importance to people, to family, to recognition mm. of success, and to one that says, you know, we're going to have very clear goals. 
we're going to meet those goals. And if we don't, we're all going to own them and figure out how to mm. adjust. And mm. I, I feel privileged to have watched all of these first time CEOs grow into the roles, but also take their personal um, culture metrics and measurements and push them down into the organization. Yeah, I had Jake on the podcast. I obviously don't know him yeah. uh, well, but I just got that from him. And he's, and he's doing it from Eugene. And he lives on a farm or, you know what I mean? So I guess that kind you of embodies You can build a great company that. anywhere. You can build a great yeah. company anywhere. But, you know, the the embodiment of what I want my company to be and what I hold, how I hold my people, my team, mm. my organization accountable and what that means, it all comes from the top. You said you can build a great company from anywhere. And when we had a phone call uh, a few weeks ago, you know, we talked, kicked their own idea about talent. We're going to talk about talent. And you can't kind of came in and said, there is this, you know, the, the, the effect of the pandemic on talent, there's more granular and more, um, I guess, nuance of what's, ha- what's going to, the effects from that. So I don't know if you could share just what that is or, you know, what you see talent wars, slash, slash, uh, remote work, all that, this, you know, we're both kind of getting sick of reading the headlines of it, uh, what that really means or yeah. what you're seeing. You know, listen, who knew you could do business this way, right? I, you know, as as I've been talking about lately, I think the social experiment of how this ends up is far more interesting right now in some regards than up front when we were all forced into it Yeah, fully unprepared. So obviously in the beginning, being unprepared, our main focus was to focus on our portfolio companies, on those teams, not only in terms of how do you run the business, but the mental health and wellness of of these teams as well. And so that, you know, sort of took us through the first 90 plus days, you know, three to six months. And of course, what we all learned was you can do business this way, as frustrating as sitting on little screens has been. Um, we all realized that, okay, this is what it's going to be and this is what, what it needs to be. That has sort of over time morphed into realizing not only does this work, but there's some aspects of this that in fact probably are a benefit going forward. Hmm. So as an example, in my world, um, you know, I sit on six or seven boards. Um, I have board meetings all the time. Uh, of course, boards started, board meetings start to be done virtually. And surprise, surprise, you can do a board meeting virtually. Now, what does that mean? That means that I don't have to travel to every one of them, you know, maybe quarterly, because to be honest with you, the best part of the meeting is the board dinner the night before. <laughs> yeah. But I don't need to travel all the time for these meetings, yeah. right? I don't need yeah. to travel all the time to see somebody face to face. I might prefer to, but I don't need to. What we're finding now with the companies as to how that has translated is that, in fact, you can hire people anywhere. And where this has been something that certain functional teams like engineering have known for a long time, uh, outsource engineering to Eastern Europe or Argentina or India, we've been doing that for decades, right? And functionally, a VP of engineering knows how to run that. A VP of sales knows how to run a distributed team. You put the salespeople mostly where the customers are. Functionally, that's been absolutely the mainstay of how you go about doing it. But that was not the case in things like finance or marketing or customer success, where these teams normally, maybe with an exception here or there, were all consolidated in one location. 
or maybe a couple of office locations. But there was a concentration of people in an office that basically made that team. And if you look at marketing specifically, marketing and being an old marketeer, I always felt that those teams should be cohesive. The, The conversations, the spontaneity, the creativity behind it, the ability to ensure that tactically things are being handed off correctly. Marketing was always one of these functions that sat together. Um, That's been blown up. And not only has it been blown up, but it was blown up without anyone really even watching that it was Mm. happening because everyone was virtual. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're still hiring. And now I need a demand gen person and I can hire them in Santa Barbara and they can stay in Santa Barbara. They don't need to move. And it's going to work out just fine. Now, what happens because of that? Well, several things. And as it relates to Portland, one very key thing. But firstly, you've got managers in certain functions that have never managed distributed teams. The engineering manager has, but the marketing manager or customer success or finance maybe hasn't. So now you've got a level of management skills that you've got to be really aware of, of can this person build a remote team? Can they have a distributed team? Do they know how to do that? Or are they the type of person that they really want that hallway conversation, right? So you got to watch for that. Mm. Second thing, which is very pertinent to Oregon um, and the Pacific Northwest, is, you know, in all honesty, one of the reasons why our ability to build great companies here for less money is because the costs are less. Rents less, salaries were less, um, not necessarily by a huge amount, but on average, 20%. Now what happens? Well, I can go compete if I am a individual inside of a company here in Portland, I can go compete and take a job in the Bay Area where they're offering 20% more or more, right? And I can stay in Portland. Or I am now a hiring manager in Portland, and I'm looking for core expertise that I would always find locally. And I can now hire them in Denver or the Bay Area or New York, right, where the salaries may be higher, and in which case I'm now being forced to pay a higher salary because I've got a virtual organization that's competing in a virtual talent market. And that virtual talent market is equalizing everything from the comp tables to the equity tables to Mm. management's ability to basically put a team together like this. And so it is it is something that we are seeing in terms of our portfolio companies here in Portland, um, what it's costing them to get great talent where that talent is, how that's affecting their burn rates, how that's affecting cash out dates. Um, This is just a reality at this point. And I think it's going to um, vacillate. I think it's going to go back and forth a bit. But right now, it's something that every CEO in town is dealing with. And from your perspective, sitting on the fence of the venture capitalists and and investment, what does that mean for your, your business, if anything? I mean, I assume you're embracing it, but I don't know if it and it affects well, evaluations, it like you said. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. It, it means a lot for our business. Um, it, getting away for, right, for a moment from the financial aspects, it means that, you know, our focus on how we coach and mentor teams um, at the board level means that we have an added dimension to basically be watching for, again, some of this is health and wellness of the employees, A lot of this is functional capability of maintaining a productive team, right? Mm -hmm. I I, I did a talk recently where we talked about effective organizations versus productive organizations. It may be very effective to have it 
virtual and distributed for all the reasons that we said. Yeah. But do you get the same productivity and what do you need to do around productivity in order to take a very different model and still not only have equal productivity, but we're building growing companies, growing yeah. productivity. So we have to watch that leadership and see where the breaks may be. Mm. On the financial standpoint, it is absolutely playing forth in looking at valuations up here, in looking at where you know we work with our teams on on uh, comp tables, uh, you know what is a VP of marketing or senior director of demand gen or a director of customer success? What are the ranges for what they make here in town? Right. Every company's got them. Every VC's got them. Every lawyer helps you with them. Right. Those ranges are changing. Right. Because if you look at a senior director of demand gen or of growth marketing and you're competing for talent down in the Bay Area or New York or somewhere else, you know, they, and they're not going to move. Yeah. Right. You may have a little wiggle room. Right. And if you're a great company like some of the ones that I just mentioned, you've got some ability to attract great talent because they want to work there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But. You can't have a 20% differential the way you used to be able to have, mm. right? You yeah. might get away with a little bit, but you're not going to get away with a large amount because if it's great talent, they are being pursued by other people as well. And I assume, and just from hearing, talking to other leaders in town, is there, these candidates are also, I want to say demanding, but you know, what's the remote work? Also, <laughs> like, what is the flexibility, right? That's a, a what is the it's, flexibility. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've talked to any folks in the finance marketplace, but you know, one of the things that I have found fascinating is that, of course, the West Coast is very tech balanced. The mm -hmm. East Coast finance, and especially mm -hmm. if you look at New York, and if you look at the large financial institutions, um, they have basically pretty much said mandated back in office. Now, yep. after Labor Day or whatever the date is, but for the most part, the big financial institutions have said, we are going full on back in office, it's mandatory. If you look at the tech sector on the West Coast, it's everything from we're never going back in office to we're doing this hybrid thing and mm -hmm. we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna try and have people in the office at certain days so we can get certain collaboration going and other day, you know, and everyone wants to be you know, out of office Monday and Fridays and in office Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> right. And so you've got this sort of experiment going on. It's a laboratory at this yeah. point. In all honesty, the finance folks in New York have a lot easier, right? They may irritate some people who say, but I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I like it here, right? And they're saying, yeah, well, if you want to continue working here, you'll be back in New York. It's a lot easier. It's a lot cleaner. It'll be interesting to see what the what the rebalancing is on the West Coast with these tech companies. Everyone's trying to figure out this experiment that doesn't affect productivity, addresses a generation that likes to have the flexibility, addresses the fact that technology has allowed us to do this. Mm -hmm. And yet you still need to build culture. You still need to build scale and you still need to make sure that you've got a commitment from employees who may never see you except for a quarterly meeting face yeah. to face and that they don't feel loose in the socket, as I would say, to someone with more money or whatever, saying, you know, because they haven't moved. They're sitting in their home office. Right. There's yeah. no peer pressure to, hey, let's do this together. Right. Yeah. It's uh, you got a screen in front of you and it's very hard to see how this is going to play out. Uh, uh, yeah. And every anybody that says 
this is what we're doing and how it's going to work out. They have no, they there's have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, so they, it is, they, have, yeah. they have no idea. And, and that is true. You know, anyone who tells you they know, yeah. they don't. Now, again, the smartest folks in this may be, you know, the guys at Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the large financial institutions that are making this mandatory statements, maybe they are the smartest ones in the room right now saying, we we got to mm. put a stake in the ground and do that. I guarantee there'll be some exceptions. Yeah. On this side, we're sort of doing, you know, we want to, we want to, everyone wants to listen to their employees. And the question's going to come down to, is that really going to give you an answer that's going to work? Because again, as I said up front, when the pandemic started, we had no choice. And I think just like I'm sure you as well, we all dug in deep and we were like, okay, we can get through this and the technology can make it. And isn't this weird and too much Zoom, but we can do this. Well, now you have a choice. Now the laboratory isn't forcing you to do this. This is one big social experiment as to what's going to work. Yeah. And, you know, to some degree, time will tell. Um, I will tell you, it is opening up, you know, a whole lot of industries that are interesting for investing in. I mean, future of work is a huge market segment that we're yeah. looking and have made several investments in mm. over the last um, over the last year because it will be different than what it was. And the technology that drives not just the communication and the collaboration, but the ability to ensure that there is equity and diversity in, in companies, that yeah. there is the ability to measure productivity, that there is an ability to communicate um, progress and process in a distributed fashion. This is driving, that, that there is infrastructure that allows for all of us to be sitting on these little boxes 24 yeah. hours a day and that the infrastructure can handle it. All of these things, are now accelerated because of this last year's world that we lived in. So lots of opportunity for me to look at for investment. Yeah, yeah. Right? But that's the other lens to what's really going on inside of the office as this change begins to really take effect. Yeah, I mean, my own example is my primary business was um, producing executive events in person. Yeah, and so right. when this happened, I was the person that, if you invited me to a video call 13 months ago, never would have turned on the video <laughs> and you know I'm, i was like i'm done what am i gonna do right. and now i'm like even going back to in person the convenience and you see some of the platforms locally we have hub brand yep. live who are just crushing it right yep. um even podcasting we're on a platform called riverside.fm which uh you might know i'm alexis ohanian who's a venture capitalist yep. just put 10 million dollars into yep. i would have never done a podcast remotely before this. That's so exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And that's why it it literally is spanning, you know, the entire ecosystem of doing work. Now, again, I do B2B. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to talk to someone who does B2C, of course, there's an additional set of explosions that have occurred because of this. You know, and and that's great. Disruption is what we what we look for. We look for technology disruption. We look for business disruption. God knows there was no bigger disruption than what just went on over the last 15 months. How that looks two years from now, mm. we should come back and visit. Yeah, I mean, I have days where I'm pessimist and I'm like, it's all gonna go back to what it was. We're, this is how we are, we're wired. 
but it's not right. And so I got to get out of that, but I'm slowly transitioning to embracing these things and how convenient it, it they will are. Not. So, I mean, I'm, to your world, I'm fascinated right now where Las Vegas is coming back with mm-hmm. um, some conferences. I was talking to an entrepreneur here in town who's going to what was it, what is I what I'm told the largest mm-hmm. construction trade show in the U.S. It's all it's an annual event. It's always in Las Vegas. Of course, right. last year they didn't have it. They're having it next week or this week, I, I, sometime in the next 10 days or so. And it's going to be back to the old days. Now, what will be interesting is who actually is there, how yep. it goes, is it, the, is it the same? You know, having said that, you know, I see very little reason to have to go to a trade show in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the whole getting on a plane. It's, it's like, wow. Just being yeah. in Las Vegas, but I mean, that's a whole <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's the last place I want to go right now. Yeah. But, uh, well, as we kind of wrap up, I usually ask about Portland, but I know it's a broad question. And I, I think maybe just to, what's the state of entrepreneurship here in, in the sense that the entrepreneurs you've been talking to the last 12 months, are you excited? Are you kind of a lot more people trying to jump in that it's more cluttered or maybe not? I, I, I don't know. Well, so listen, Portland has always been a great place to build companies. I mean, obviously, we love to live here. There are some problems that have got to get resolved now, but yeah. that's a totally different conversation. It's still just a wonderful, wonderful place to live. Uh, you know, it is my adopted town and I and I am a big cheerleader for it. It's also a great place to build a business because from a um, uh, cost effective standpoint, even though we talked earlier about some of the changes that are going on, um, you can still build a software company here for what is completely reasonable amounts of dollars um, at absolutely competitive valuations that you can get your foundations built without the pressure of some of the craziness that goes on outside of here. And at the point where you hit scale, right, you are competing with any other company in the world to basically grow. And it doesn't matter where you are. And so to be able to incubate, seed yourself get to your first MVPs, hit your first measurements and metrics, get to that first and second round of funding. To do it here is about as great an environment as you can be in. And you know, you add to that that we've always had great talent. Some would argue not enough. I will tell you there's not a city in the country you would go to that you wouldn't hear the same problem. Um, but you know, in the old days, you could recruit them here, and now you can hire them yeah, to so be good. where they are. Um, I think it just adds value to this overall market, you know, for the long term. I'm an optimist like you. And I'm also just really curious, this may be a part two down the road of the rest of the state. I grew up in Southern Oregon and I am so excited of the potential for down there. Uh, But Diane, well, thanks so much. And just it's great to talk to you. And um, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye, Dan. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.